Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Tuesday. You are in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Brought to you by Tequila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Speaking of Embajador Tequila, I got such big news. Uh, It's going to wait just a little while. I can't wait to share it all with you, but uh, some big news coming uh, from uh, Embajador, uh, and and it's going to be a a good thing uh, moving forward. Uh, Big show for for us today. Jesse Newell, who covers the Kansas City Chiefs, will be with us at 4.30, and he covers them for the Kansas City Star. Sam Gordon from the Review Journal will join us at 5 o'clock. Um, and we're asking this question, and I want your thoughts, 702-365-9200. For the most part, the heavy lifting of the offseason is done in terms of the roster. I do think there's one more move potentially on the horizon. You know I'm talking about James Bradbury. We'll see if that works out for the Raiders. I know there's interest in bringing the veteran cornerback here, but obviously it's going to come down to money, timing, all of those issues. We'll see where all that is headed. But for the most part, the heavy lifting um, is complete across the NFL. Now it's you know a matter of getting on the field, guys winning jobs, earning uh, roster spots, uh, all of those good things. But I think f- pretty much a lot of what the Raiders want to do, are going to do, is set. I think there's some questions, obviously, on the offensive line. That'll get sorted out. But the question is, as we sit here on May 10th, 2022, just a few months, a couple months away from training camp officially starting, I'm looking at this offense. I'm looking at what Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels did in terms of improving it. And it goes beyond just Devontae Adams, although that was the big move of the offseason offensively. I think they're tweaking with that offensive line, bringing in some reinforcements in the backfield, some different options um, to to diversify the running game a little bit. Um, Obviously, new offensive coordinator, new system. But when you look at this offense, Devontae Adams, Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, Josh Jacobs, Brian Edwards, Derek Carr, one of the top 12, 11 quarterbacks uh, in the NFL to me with – surrounded by who he's with uh, this year and will be this year, provided everybody stays healthy. I think he has a chance to be a top 10 quarterback this year consistently. Everybody needs to stay healthy. We all get that. We all understand that it all kind of plays into each other. But with a healthy supporting cast, I think Derek Carr has a chance to be a top 10 quarterback. I'm going to ask this question. What would that mean in terms of the offense in general? I think – that this offense has a chance to be a top five offense in the NFL in terms of scoring, efficiency, um, maximize red zone. You know that the Raiders have had issues uh, in the red zone uh, over the last couple of years, short yarded situationally. I think this offense has a chance to be as good as any in the NFL. And I'm going to say right now top five, but I want to know what your thoughts are. So give us a call at 702-365-9200. As you look at this offense with Derek Carr as the quarterback, Devontae Adams playing alongside Darren Waller, even when I say that, the thoughts just are swirling in my head how good and creative and powerful and explosive 
this offense can be when you're talking about two of the premier weapons in the NFL. Say what about you know where they where where people think that they rank, where people rank them, whatever, wherever you feel that they fit in in their position group. I don't think I'm out of line, not one way, not 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 in any way, to say that the Raiders right now have one of the top three tight ends in the NFL in Darren Waller and one of the top three wide receivers in the NFL in Devontae Adams. All right, so I'm going to ask you this to the callers, 702-365-9200. Who has that type of talent at two offensive positions? Who in the NFL right now as we speak has a top three or, or two of the top three at two different positions, tight end, wide receiver. You want to say wide receiver, you want to say running back, quarterback, however you want to, you know, uh, lay it out there. But who in the NFL has two, a, a top three tight end and a top three wide receiver? Anybody? I don't, I mean, I'm looking across the NFL and there's some wildly talented teams uh, in the league without question. And last year you could have obviously made the, um, you know, an argument for the Kansas City Chiefs with Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Tyreek Hill. Yeah, those were two players that you could argue were among the top three at their position on the same team. And then, of course, you had Patrick Mahomes, definitely a top three quarterback. So when you do the math on the Kansas City Chiefs, no wonder they were scoring so many points. It takes talent to win in this league. Yes, scheme matters. No question about it. That accentuates and helps without question it does but talent it, it it all starts with talent why do you think Alabama wins year in and year out you think uh Nick Saban is that good of a X's and O's coach Nick Saban was an okay coach at Michigan State Nick Saban was an okay coach at LSU they won a national championship I believe at LSU but was he a jogger not he definitely wasn't a juggernaut in, in Michigan State. You want to know why? Because at Michigan State, you're pretty much getting, what, maybe the top four players in that conference, depending on what year it is, Michigan State, Ohio State, at least top three, at least in the the, the third. And, and, you know, you could argue year in and year out who gets who's got the third best talent in terms of recruiting in the Big Ten. But I'll certainly say this. In no way, shape, or form, probably ever, in any time that uh, during during any of the time that Nick Saban was there, did they get the top recruiting class in that conference? Certainly not year after year after year after year, which is basically what he does at Alabama, not just in the SEC, but he's top two, top three, top one every year in terms of nationally, the whole country. He's getting the best players year in and year out. Nick Saban would be the first to tell you, yeah, I play a role in it, obviously. Uh, somebody has to recruit these players, and his staff does a great job of that. Somebody has to develop them, get them into a program, um, get the, get the you know, uh, just get them on a development track from in terms of building their body, all of that type of stuff. Coaches play a big, huge role in that. But it all starts with talent. And when you talk about this Raiders offense, I mean – 
when was the last time they had this level of talent? You're talking about a top three player at his position in Darren Waller, a top three player at his position in Devontae Adams. There's weeks where you can make a case that they're the best at their position. Certainly Devontae Adams. There's an argument to be made, and just watch the tape. I tell people all, this all the time. I thought I knew that, obviously, you know that Devontae Adams is good. Just look at his stats. But did I sit here and watch Devontae Adams week in and week out, sort of with this intent eye? No, I didn't. He, he wasn't on the team that I covered. So, I mean, I, I watched him, but I didn't, like, study him. That wasn't part of my job description. Now that he's with the Raiders, yes, I have definitely taken a deep dive into Devontae Adams. And guess what? This dude is unbelievably good. Just fantastic. In every phase of of that position, route running, route recognition, getting off the line of scrimmage, footwork, hands, speed, uh, bodying up in order to come down with the ball, body control, catch radius, all of those things With when he gets the ball in his hands, yards at the catch. This dude is just flat-out dynamic. I didn't even realize how good he was, to be perfectly honest. I'm going to be honest about that. I've already known. I mean, obviously, uh, I cover the Raiders, so Darren Waller, that goes without saying. He's taken over games for the Raiders. Now you put him alongside Devontae Adams. That's, those are, that's talent that the Raiders have not had in a long, long time. And I truly believe it. I've been beating this drum for a long time that Derek Carr is a perfectly fine quarterback. And, you know, in a lot of ways has just been sort of a product of what was around him. I'm not pointing any fingers at anybody. It is what it is. You know, there were misses in the draft. There were misses in terms of offensive philosophy. There were misses with coach, whatever. It's all water under the bridge. It's in the past. All right? But I never once looked at Darren, Derek Carr and thought, well, he's the problem. They need to definitely go out and get somebody that's better. And I'm not sitting here and saying that you can't get a better quarterback than Derek Carr, obviously. But finding that better, uh, you know, uh, replacement is really hard to do. And you don't have to, like, just keep bringing other people in there to try to get better because he's one of the few that – you know, top 11, top 12, even in spite of everything that's go, that, that's happened, you know, the roster turnover, the coaching turnover, the philosophy changes, all of that, all the different systems that he's had to, to um, learn. He's always played at a pretty darn high level. And if you notice, when there's really good talent around him, let's go to the beginning of last year, even with kind of a flawed offensive line, it wasn't, it certainly didn't come together the way the Raiders had hoped. There were a few reasons for that, youth. Inexperienced, they traded away some some really good players and in, in, in Gabe Jackson, um, you know, uh, and 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 the starting center making changes th- that was bound to create a learning curve. And then you had the injuries uh, to Richie Incognito uh, and Denzel Good that kind of just set them back even a little bit further. But even with the offensive line still in a little bit of flux, when Derek Carr had uh, Henry Ruggs and a healthy Darren Waller. This offense was humming to the point where people were legitimately talking about Derek Carr as an MVP candidate. Now, you always want to, you know, pump the brakes a little bit at that point in the season because anything can happen, and anything did happen. We all found that out the hard way with the Raiders, Henry Ruggs, 
and then Darren Waller gets hurt. Well, that took two huge pieces out of the equation. And, of course, Derek Carr and the offense in general, their play is going to reflect that. You just can't replace that kind of talent. But the Raiders, they got a healthy Darren Waller. And then they go out and get Devontae Adams, a piece that they haven't had in a long time. Now Derek Carr, I think his level of play is going to rise to the level of play around him again. And I really truly believe that there might actually be times next year where you're starting to talk about Derek Carr as an MVP candidate because he's got really good talent around him now. And I, and I do think the offensive line will get better. It might not be a great offensive line, but the Raiders showed last year that even with a not-so-good offensive line, as long as you have your other healthy you know, players out there or complement of players out there, you're going to score points. And so when I look at this offense, there's no reason to me – Barring any kind of injuries, there's no reason to me that this can't be a top five offense. So I'm putting that question out to you guys. 702-365-9200, what are your thoughts? Do you think this offense has a chance to be one of the top five offenses? Did you have something to say? Oh, I was going to say, we have a response on the text line. Beautiful. You might be able to add a top three slot receiver in the league ah. in Hunter Renfro, too. I think wide receiver is its own position now and nobody has had more success with slot wide receiver than Josh McDaniel. Jared, who sent us that brilliant uh, They did not sign it, but uh, the Raider Nation radio text line is open and unfortunately Devon is out, so I will be reading them as they come in. That's Jared who is filling in for Devon, who was a little under the weather today. We wish uh, Devon uh, well, get rest. Uh, drink a lot of orange juice, my friend. We'll see you back here uh, tomorrow. By the way, we are live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Um, and I absolutely, I not that I stand corrected, but thank you very much for pointing that out too. Um, Hunter Renfro, I mean, I I don't think you'd get many arguments, Jared, that he's a top three slot wide receiver in the NFL, right? I mean, especially considering what a slot wide receiver is supposed to do in the modern passing game, yeah. which is almost an extension of the run where it's like get open in the shallow area and then try to make something happen. Right. I would say, yeah, he's probably is a slot top three slot receiver. And, and in the, the thing, the thing with Hunter, um, you know, go back to uh, the skill set uh, when we were just describing. Devonte Adams. If you watch tape of Hunter Renfo, um, he does so many different, so many things well, uh, from the footwork, the route running, the route understanding, the understanding of the position. But one thing that he really, and I've talked to him about this, it's almost like the dude's got eyes behind the back of his head. Because, and I said, how do you even like, like it always seems like you know what to do, how to handle that first defender. That's nearest to you. And, you know, what's what's unique to me about that is, you know, he's worried about catching the ball. All right. So that's the first, you know, goal, the first objective, catch the ball when it's thrown to you. But he has a way of being able to balance not just catching the ball, but then also making the closest defender or the nearest defender or the oncoming defender. He has a sense about this, a knack to make them miss. And he's always picking up extra yards. Jared, do we have a caller? Yes, we have Dino on line one. Dino, what's up, my friend, on the Realty One group listener line? How you doing? Good, Vincent. How are you? I'm doing good, thank you. You know, uh, Vincent is only when I'm in trouble, so did I say something wrong, Dino? <laughs> no, I got a lot, a lot of respect for you, so that's what <laughs> uh, I call you. You're, you're very good at what you do. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, I couldn't agree more with you as far as the offense goes. Barring injuries... 
this team should score close to 30 points a game. And then that's what it's all going to come down to. Stats don't mean anything. It's all going to come down to points per game. But uh, I, I do believe, barring injury, Carr is going to shatter his career record for touchdowns in a season. He should approach 40, at least at least 35. He should average about two a game this year with this offense. They're, they're, they're loaded. They've got every aspect, and they, they complement each other well with the slot guy, the, you know, the main alpha male, and Devontae Adams, and the, 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 the dominant tight end with Waller. I think the complementary pieces that we're not talking about are going to really benefit from those three big dogs. And, uh, you know, the running game that uh, McDaniels puts together is going to be something to see, too. It's going to be a committee, and they always they have different types of backs, different styles. I, I think they'll be better in the red zone. The sky's the limit for this offense. If the defense can give up 20 to 21 points a game, I, I can't see this team not winning 12, 12 games. I'm going to ask you this question, Dino, and I'm throwing this out to uh, everyone else as well. 702-365-9200. You know, part of uh, being a better offense and being a top five offense is also being a more efficient offense, right? And when you look at the Raiders offense the last couple of years, especially when the talent I felt started getting better and better and better, um, there were some flaws um, and inefficiencies to this offense, and it was red zone offense. It was short yardage, you know, getting that that yard that you need. Um, a lot of it was, you know, just uh, it was it was a lack of efficiency. There were mistakes. There were penalties. Uh, a lot of a lot of things played into that. There will be some that said that there was a creative uh, issue, you know, with with John Gruden and what he was trying to do at that part of the in that part of the field. So I'm going to ask you this, uh, Dino. I'm going to throw it out to everyone else at seven zero two three six five ninety two hundred. What are your thoughts on the red zone offense? I know we haven't seen it out on the grass, but do you feel like with what they've put together talent wise, and now with Josh McDaniels being in charge of this offense, this red zone can get better? Because if that gets better, then the points are going up. I, I think they will. Number one reason Gruden and his offense is out of there. He cost them multiple games with awful play calling, poor design of plays. I, I can't imagine they don't get better just from him being gone. And and Greg Olson had the worst run game calls I've ever seen. I've been watching football for 50 years. I, I think the Raiders probably on their running plays, if the PFF probably has the stats on this, they had to run 85% of their plays between the A and B gaps. And I know that. I'm sure these smart defensive coordinators know it. And that was why Josh Jacobs was averaging less than four yards a carry, which is unacceptable. And in today's NFL, I'll ask you a question, too. On third and short, third and less than five, it's like taking candy from a baby nowadays, throwing the ball. You should be able to get four yards just had a little quick slant over the middle to Hunter Renfro or, or you know, a stop fade. And, you know, why has that gone out of the offense? The back shoulder fade in, in, in Carr's rookie year, 14, and the second year in 15, he was really good at that. So I'm expecting more of that because of his familiarity with Devontae. And uh, that's what's exciting about him coming on board. There's going to be no transition of those guys having to get to know each other. They've been playing together for a long time, so I think it's going to be seamless. And in, in turn, you have to run the ball to answer your question about the red zone. Yeah. You have to run it in the red zone. The field shortens. 
They have to have a power offensive line that's going to move guys off the ball. You have to be able to run it in there. And I think, I'm telling you what, watch out for Zeus White. This kid may take, overtake Josh Jacobs. If he continue, if he stays healthy, he's going to be the long-term back on this team. Yeah, I appreciate the call, Dino. Thank you very much. Um, and, and you know, going back to the red zone, I remember talking to uh, Josh McDaniels in Florida at the uh, owners' meetings, and we were talking to him about Matt Collins, uh, the wide receiver that they signed from the Miami Dolphins. And this tells me that, you know, Josh McDaniels and the offensive staff – uh, are are looking at these types of things because one of the things that Josh McDaniels brought up about Matt Collins was um, you know special teams he's going to be a uh, a big asset there and don't you know take that for granted that's a huge part of the and component of of winning football games uh, but one of the things that he also mentioned about Matt Collins is that he's a presence in the red zone and so when you know guys are being targeted for specific roles. Uh, it tells you that the Raiders are on top of that. And I'm not promising, I'm not guaranteeing that there's going to be uh, improvements in certain areas. It, ultimately, the, the, the players have to go out there uh, and execute it. But there's certainly an awareness. Not that there wasn't also under John Gruden. He talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. It was highly frustrating for uh, John and the staff that they were not able to be better in the red zone. It was a critical area that they faltered in far too many times and traded field goals um, uh, instead of touchdowns. And ultimately, that's going to that's gonna add up, and you're going to lose football games because of that, and they did. Um, so it wasn't for lack of trying, but they just weren't able to conquer it. And, um, you know, it's on Josh McDaniels and the offensive staff and the players to conquer it, but there is an awareness. And being able to say, hey, we're going to go out and get a guy like Matt Collins, who may be under the radar in certain ways, but in their – the way they're looking at it and when they put him under the microscope, the special teams, and oh, by the way, he's shown that he could be a presence in the red zone. That 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 tells me that they're, like I said, they're cognizant of it and they're trying to get better and they're trying to create and put some pieces together in order to fix it. Uh, Jared, did you have something? Oh, I was going to say we can go back out to the listener line. We have Guarab. Oh, Guarab is on the Realty One uh, group listener line. How you doing, Guarab? Hey, how you doing, Vinny? What's going on? We're good, brother. Yeah, I was just listening to the uh, fact of, yeah, okay, the offense. Um, yeah, it would be. The the thing The thing is, um, with the luck that we normally have as Raider fans, this is definitely a dream come true to have an offense like this. But I've always liked this. I just, I just wonder if, like, this doesn't turn out to be one of those things where, we really don't get to see all these weapons in action throughout the season. Because? A lot like what happened to the, Cow- like the Cowboys. You know, they have all these weapons. You can see they have a good quarterback. They had good wide receivers. They had a pretty decent tight end. They had a good running back. But they were always taking turns coming in and out. You know, we could never see the entire full force of that offense, in, in, you know, in action. And I'm wondering, you know, the luck that Derek Carr has always had, you know, with receivers being you know, there, taken away, hurt, whatever, I'm wondering who's going to be next out of Renfro Waller Adams that's going to end up getting hurt 
and then we're going to have that same thing happen where we're not going to be able to see what the Raiders can really be throughout the season. Guarab. I fear that. Guarab. I, I, I'm sorry, but I, I'm being realistic as it comes because it always seems to happen. The Raiders always had the biggest list of injuries for the last three years. Okay, I don't I, see why it would change. <laughs> I, and, and, hey, I hear you, and obviously you have to account for injuries. They're, they're, they're going to happen. That's just the fact of life. But, Guarab, we're sitting here on May 10th, 2022. They haven't even played a game, and you're already going I with know. the negatives. All right, let's 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 do this. Let's just you, say, for argument's you know sake, Guarab, <laughs> let's just say, for argument's sake, that uh, the key players stay healthy. And that's not unprecedented. There are times I've seen it with my own two eyes, as have you, over the years, even with the Raiders over the years, uh, where guys are going to stay healthy. Let's just start from that premise, because obviously we could talk about the what-if game, um, and if this guy gets hurt or that guy gets hurt. I hate even thinking along those lines or talking about it. Um, if it happens, it happens. Obviously the Raiders would have to adjust. Well, maybe. Go ahead. Yeah, well, maybe if we like, maybe if we just call it out loud like this, but sometimes we get the reverse fortune of it. Maybe it doesn't happen. Usually, <laughs> when people don't think about it, or don't, well, don't talk about it, they just seem so excited about it, and they're all like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna have the greatest team." And yeah, well, hey, listen, just don't forget how dangerous it is on these. I mean, the injuries just happen so, so, so commonly with this team and i mean i just it's about time they have a year where they just don't deal i mean i mean okay renfro got hurt one year we've had waller got already he was hurt last year let's just hope that they've all gone through their cycles of injuries and this year we have a clean slate of just 17 good games with everybody on the football field and we just you know we get to the playoffs and possibly maybe to a championship or a super bowl all right. Well, um, uh, uh, good good luck w- with all that, and uh, and I get it. Yes, there's definitely injuries are always uh, a concern, but um, you know, uh, and I'll, I'll, I will also say this: whether we talk about it or don't talk about it, it has nothing to do with what was actually going to happen. I don't believe uh, that we could talk or um, or or trick, you know, uh, whatever uh, the future holds. I don't yeah. think we could trick it or or uh, you know uh, or, or run away from it in any way, shape, or form right now. So uh, so, but the question is, and I get it, Guarb. There's no question that that is a concern. But if everybody stays healthy, where do you think? How high can this offense go? I think it's a top five offense. I think thirty points, thirty plus points is definitely. Uh, oh, with, absolutely. Yeah, with, within reason. Uh, thanks for the call, Guarab. Uh, really appreciate it. You're in the huddle with Vinny Monsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Tuesday. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. We are waiting on Jesse Newell from uh, the Kansas City Star to join us. Talking about the Kansas City Chiefs, by the way, Jesse just got on the Chiefs beat. He was uh, the beat writer for uh, Kansas University basketball and football. 
And, of course, the Jayhawks won the national championship in basketball. So they're still, I'm sure, uh, coming off uh, that high uh, over in Lawrence, uh, Kansas, and in that area uh, of the country. Kansas City is not far, obviously, from Lawrence. Um, and so that, that those two go hand in hand. Uh, now Jesse covers the uh, the Chiefs, and we're, we're waiting to, uh, to get a hold of him. But I'm asking the question to Raider fans, how good can this offense truly be? Give us a call, 702-365-9200. You know, I I know fan bases want to be, as as much as they say, everybody hates us and everyone's uh, underestimating us and all those good things, at the same time, there's always a little bit of pessimism from fan bases in general, too, and they don't want to get too far out there. Uh, in their own predictions about their own teams, because as Guarab said, you don't want to tempt fate, you know, injuries and that thing. You don't want to jinx it, all that type of stuff. So uh, I get that, but we're we're asking this question honestly. When you look at this Raiders offense on paper, good can it possibly be? Can it be a top five offense? Like I think it can. Give us a call seven zero two three six five ninety two hundred. But without further ado, we're going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line and welcome in Jesse Newell, a new friend. Let's just put it that way. Uh, from the Kansas City Star, he covers the Chiefs for the uh, for the KC Star. Uh, Jesse, thank you for uh, spending some time with us in the huddle. Truly appreciate it. How are you doing, my friend? Doing great. How about yourself? Doing good. Doing good. And you know, I'm looking uh, at your Twitter page, and prior to joining the Chiefs, covering that beat, which uh, you told me that uh, you, you're a few weeks in uh, uh, to the beat, lots going on. Uh, it's get used to that. Uh, the NFL is definitely 24 seven. But prior to that. <laughs> You were covering Kansas University basketball uh, and football. I got to ask you: uh, Has has Lawrence, Kansas, and that region come off the big high from uh, the national championship? Uh, not yet. No. I mean, they had the parade here the week after, and uh, obviously, this this place goes nuts for college hoops. Um, you know, the Chiefs are coming thing around this area, but uh, in this particular city, you know, that, that's really what uh, what takes the cake. So, yeah, I mean, they love their college hoops here, and, and obviously, Bill Self getting his second title. It's crazy because for a while, Phil Self was the guy who, you know, the, the national titles were kind of lagging behind everything else he'd done. And now you look at it, and with all the recent retirements, the only national championship, uh, or the only coaches of two national championships now are uh, current ones are Bill Self and Rick Pitino. And Rick Pitino had one of his vacated. So uh, it's pretty crazy how the narrative shifts, but uh, I know Bill Self is proud of that one, and obviously this area has gone a little bit nuts. Real quick uh, on on Kansas basketball, how many is that now for the Jayhawks national championships? Well, yeah, it depends on what you <laughs> want to talk about here because they have the they have these Helms titles that they claim and they put the banners up in, in the rafters, but those were kind of decided by a committee after the fact. So uh, I think four is the official national championship numbers, uh, six if you count the Helms titles. So I guess it depends on on what you want to talk about there, but. Uh, obviously, 88, 08, and then uh, now 22 are the most recent ones and uh, the ones that most of the people on here remember. Yep, absolutely. It's a, it's a great tradition and a great, um, you know, I've been there. I've been to Lawrence, Kansas, a great little town, um, and uh, they love Kansas basketball, and rightfully so. Uh, and one day, maybe the football program uh, will, uh, <laughs> will, will will come around. It's been a struggle for the Jayhawks uh, football, but uh, Kansas basketball is, is bar none one of the top programs in Blue Bloods uh, in college basketball. But we're talking, obviously, uh, Jesse, about the Kansas City Chiefs, the AFC West, the Raiders, the Chargers, the Broncos. Um, you know, the Chiefs have been out on the grass a little bit, uh, going through OTAs and, and whatnot. Um, anything, you know, I know we get a little bit of access uh, during this time of year, but anything jump out at you uh, so far observing uh, the Chiefs and where they are at this stage of the game? 
Yeah, I mean, just so far, uh, this past week was rookie minicamp, so you get those three days, and more than anything, I think I just got a sunburn out here, which uh, <laughs> you, you got to get higher than the SDF 30 to get out there in rookie minicamp, or you're going to get burned pretty bad. But, uh, you know, the Chiefs have an interesting rookie class, and, and you look across the board with what they did and what GM Brett Beach brought in, um, you know, they had some pretty obvious holes, and obviously they got lots of extra draft picks by trading Tyreek Hill away. But they have some spots where they need guys to step in right away. And that starts with the two first-round picks they had in Trent McDuffie, uh, the cornerback out of Washington, and then George Karloftis, the defensive end out of Purdue. So um, it was interesting hearing Andy Reid talk about both of those guys. Uh, he said he, you know, he likes Trent McDuffie so far, just you know, the limited time he's seen him, likes what he has you know, hits-wise. He can turn those really quickly. And uh, other than his size, you know, 5'10", 5'11", he seems to be one of the most polished corners out there. So, again, you would expect him to step in right away. And then uh, Karloftis is an interesting guy because he's just a grinder and a worker. And I think Andy Reid kind of laughed about this. You know, he said he goes 100 miles an hour even when there's walkthroughs. You know? <laughs> so sometimes you want those guys to, like, take a little bit of a deep breath, like, hey, you know, if the left guard or the left tackle is only going half speed and you're going 100%, you know, you might get somebody hurt. It might be you. So uh, just take it easy. But obviously he's a kid that's, uh, you know, well-spoken and, and wants to make a, a name for himself here and, and make a good first impression. That's what he tried to do at rookie minicamp. But another kind of thing to watch with the Chiefs is they took a lot of cornerbacks and safeties in this draft. And uh, it's interesting with Red Beach last year, you know, you, you remember in the offseason where the Chiefs lost to the Bucks. Uh, it was because they lost one too many offensive linemen, and the Bucks just streamed through, and the Super Bowl got so much pressure on Patrick Mahomes, had him running for his life. So what did Brett Beach do? He really loaded up on the offensive line, and they shored up that weakness. Well, if you look back last year, you know what happened to the Chiefs against both the Bills and the Bengals the last two games of the season? They really struggled in the secondary. So um, they do have quite a few cornerbacks and safeties in this draft class, including second-round pick Brian Cook. They took a couple more. Uh, even in the fourth round and the seventh round. So they're going to have a lot of bodies at position. It'll be interesting to see how that sorts out. But, uh, you know, for a rookie class, for a team that was really good last year and almost made the Super Bowl, I think they're depending a lot on the rookies to step in right away and fill in some of those gaps that we talked about that they were a little bit weak in last season. Yeah, Jesse, I was going to bring that up um, with a, a very defensive-centric uh, draft. Uh, did it just kind of get to a point where Andy Reid said, you know, I'm tired of these, you know, barn burner having to score 40 points to win games. Let's figure out a different way, even if you have to take a little bit of a setback offensively. But um, if you can improve the defense, that whatever step back you take offensively is going to get mitigated by a much better defense. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of fascinating how Brevich has done this because, again, they went into both of these offseasons sort of pretty clear on what their weaknesses were, and then they sort of just addressed them right away, like – um, you know, last year basically said by the halftime of the Super Bowl game, he knew he needed to address the offensive line. And then he saw them go do all the things that they did. You know, they got Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith on the draft. They went and got Joe Tooney um, as a free agent from New England. Uh, they went and, and traded in the first round draft to get Arlando Brown on the right tackle uh, uh, spot. I'm sorry, the left tackle spot. So, yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, you knew the weakness. Brett Beach knew the weakness, and then he went and immediately addressed it. And, uh, one of the greatest games of the year, I would say, last season was that Chiefs at Bills game. Uh, or, I'm sorry, not Chiefs at Bills. Bills at Chiefs game in the playoffs. Um, I was able to go there for that and help cover it. And uh, man, it was amazing down the stretch. Both those quarterbacks just flinging up and down the field. But yeah, if you're a defensive-minded guy, at some point you want to say, "Hey, why is it that you, you why is it that you're letting every team uh, that touches the ball march 80 yards in about 40 seconds? You know, how is that happening? And a lot of that was happening because of some of the the back end breakdowns that the Chiefs had. 
uh, including, I know, uh, one guy that's now moved on to New Orleans that was not a fan favorite toward the end of his tenure, which was Daniel Sorensen in the, on the back end. So, yeah, I think the Chiefs, it was pretty obvious this offseason that, uh, you know, seven or ten drafts of players, and they had some holes to fill there. But, again, I think they played the board a little bit, too. You know, you can commit your resources in a lot of different places, but when you sign Patrick Mahomes and you have that big deal that's going to come up due even more in future years, and if you decided to do that with Tyreek Hill for a while, too, before you know, he ended up going to Miami in a trade, uh, that leaves very little for the rest of your roster. So when they did trade Tyreek Hill, they got that draft capital back and they were able to address some of those positions. And now potentially with young players who can kind of grow into those roles. So a, a step back, obviously, for Kansas City to trade Tyreek Hill. They're not going to be as good without him here. But I think it's probably propping open the window even more years with Patrick Mahomes. And if you give yourself a chance every year and have a superstar quarterback like him, you probably like your chances. We're talking to Jesse Newell from uh, the Kansas City Star. He covers the Chiefs for the KC Star. You can follow him at uh, Jesse Newell. Um, all right, you brought up Tyreek Hill. Uh, that was probably, when you're talking about the Kansas City Chiefs, the story of the offseason. And a uh, couple of questions here. Number one, how big of a shock was it in Kansas City, in that region, uh, when the, the, the Chiefs traded uh, Tyreek Hill? It kind of came out of the blue, um, like a lightning bolt. And have we heard yet from Patrick Mahomes officially uh, with you guys yet? Has he talked about that change? And if so, what's Patrick Mahomes saying about not having Tyreek Hill uh, on his side anymore? Yeah, um, so the first part about it, the shock value, it definitely was here. And I still think it is, um, even to the point where, you know, all of us go out there to rookie minicamp, and uh, one of the two seventh-round draft picks, Isaiah Pacheco, who's a running back, is out there, and he's wearing the number 10 jersey. And you just instinctively look at that and you go, oh, it's not. No, it's not Tyreek. <laughs> that, that's not Tyreek. You know, he was even asked about, like, hey, did you take number 10, like, thinking about all this? He's like, well, I'm, you know, it's, it's fine with me. I understand who wore that number before, but it is jarring it's going to be jarring the first week of the season when uh you know that 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 guy is not out obviously he did so much for kansas city uh over his tenure and and with the speed you know not only the speed to get to the secondary but he kind of changed how receivers are perceived i think and i think you guys know this as well as anybody that right after he had his success that was kind of the thing that everybody was looking to right i mean they were looking hey who can get the next Tyreek Hill? Who's the next speedster that can kind of open up the defense on the back end and be able to, to make those game-changing plays? And it seems like some organizations have chased it, even if there really has only been one Tyreek Hill uh, over the course of the last few years. So, yeah, that is sort of jarring. Um, you know, Patrick Mahomes, he did talk about it just briefly, and um, basically just said he was kept abreast of what was happening. And, and this makes sense, right? I mean, for example, if you have LeBron James on your roster, obviously LeBron James is going to play a little bit of coach. He's going to play a little bit of GM. He's going to play a little bit of basketball. You know, when you have a superstar type player, you have to keep him involved in those conversations. Um, so, you know, Patrick was at least told or, or heard from the Chiefs about what they were trying to do and what direction they were going. Um, but, you know, that's the other part about this is I think if, if you kind of read the tea leaves there, um, you know, I, I'm not sure that trade happens if, if Patrick doesn't say, hey, that's okay, or, or hey, let's go in a different direction and, and try to build a more of a young nucleus and try to get young players around and, and fill in lots of positions of need rather than just kind of keeping one at a very high cost. So like I said, I mean, when you have Patrick Mahomes, it's amazing uh, if you're the Chiefs because he's an amazing quarterback, and that's the number one thing that leads to winning in football and, and obviously in the NFL, but yeah, these, these contracts get expensive pretty quickly, and when you have superstar players, you kind of have to make a decision at some point. And the Chiefs decided to take a step back this offseason and go with more draft picks and try to fill with more young players and, and less expensive ones. And like I said, that probably means that they're 
maybe a win or two fewer this season, but potentially in years four, five, six, if things go to plan, then potentially they're propping up that window for Patrick Mahomes to be in a you know AFC Championship type game here like five or seven seasons, which is really what you want if you're looking at this from an organizational standpoint. Yeah, and if you're Patrick Mahomes, and I'm sure, I, it, it always, I always get the sense that he, he has a little bit of a history buff in him. Um, and, you know, just look at Tom Brady, look at Peyton Manning, look at Drew Brees, uh, who you can – that's those are his contemporaries uh, in a historical sense and a, a play-level sense. Uh, whether you're talking about the Patriots or the Colts when, when Peyton was there or Drew Brees in New Orleans, they were continually tinkering around him. At them, and that elongated their their careers. So he has to, I'm sure, appreciate the fact that that's just going to happen. The longer you're here, the more it's going to change around you, and you just have to adapt to it. And sometimes, like you said, Jesse, uh, it's going to help your career and extend your career. It might be a bit of a you know step back initially, but it could lead to something better uh, down the road. And I'm sure that's what Patrick Mahomes uh, is thinking now. Having said all that, um, I think I can't remember a undrafted free agent who gets, who's getting the hype right now uh, that Justin Ross is, is getting. I know the Chiefs just had their mini camp, so the cameras are out there and you guys are talking to him and all that sort of stuff. But he's a very intriguing undrafted free agent without question. I think if he's healthy, he's what, at least? A, I mean, if he's fully healthy, he was a first-round pick. And if he was didn't have the procedure, I'm sure he would have been drafted in the first three rounds, let's say. But... Uh, because of the health and the issues and the and the uh, you know what what he had done, Justin Ross was an undrafted free agent. How did that go over in Kansas City? And what were your first impressions of, of Mr. Ross from Clemson? Yeah, so that it is a fascinating storyline. Everybody wants to talk about him because yeah, he was. I mean, some of the like one, I think he was one forty on Pro Football Focus's final draft board and one thirty five for Mel Kiper. So to get that kind of guy as an undrafted free agent, uh, obviously at a position where. The Chiefs just lost Tyreek Hill. Um, that is going to be a big storyline, and I think he was circled by most as the number one undrafted free agent available out there once the draft ended. Um, honestly, completely honest with you, on rookie minicamp, didn't see too much right. of him. Um, even uh, Andy Reid, and when I say that, I mean, we saw him out there. Just nothing crazy to say, oh, my gosh, he made this one-handed catch. He made this, he did this, he did this. I mean, he had some nice routes where he was, um, you know, losing his defender, all those sorts of things, but the ball wasn't going to him. Sometimes that's uh, the quarterback's fault in, in these sorts of settings. But uh, even Andy Reid talked about it. Uh, it was just yesterday when he spoke to reporters and asked for his impression, Justin Ross, and, hey, you know, he come by on certain times, but uh, he's also knocking off some rust. And, you know, that's kind of the two-pronged thing for Justin Ross here. For one, is the health. You know, he had that really um, serious surgery. Uh, he had uh, – you know, spinal surgery basically on his neck. And if he makes it in the NFL, he'd be the first NFL player, according to an article I read out there, that is playing with this particular condition. So I think that caused him to basically fail his physicals with certain NFL teams. So that's something to watch. He returned to Clemson for a year, but again, wasn't the same player. And uh, the other part was he returned to Clemson and suffered a stress fracture in his foot. And so I think that's going back into what Andy Reid's talking about, that Justin Ross, uh, before the draft, was really not able to go back and test. And, and test well to try to impress scouts because of his foot injury. And uh, that's what Andy Reid is basically saying to knock the rust off. Is he's trying to get back out there, get reps, get back up to speed. And, and that's sort of the question, right? Can he get back up to speed? Because what he flashed as a freshman as 300-plus yards in the college football playoff in those two games at Clemson, I mean, that's amazing. I, I saw, I think it was Todd McShay out of 12 on his big board, um, you know, a couple of years ago, just in 2020. So there's that type of potential if he's back to who he is, and I've got to be honest with you, you know, 
the Chiefs, if the people might think, hey, Tyreek's gone, they've got big holes at receiver, that's not necessarily the case. You know, they brought in Marquez Valdez-Scantling, um, they had McCole Hardman, Jesus Smith-Schuster was brought in as well, Guy Moore was their second-round draft pick, they had Josh Gordon from a season ago, Dree Stoughton they like as a special teams player, and we know that usually a wide receiver that makes the roster uh, has to have some special teams skills as well. Um, you know, Corey Coleman's another former highly thought-of person as well. So, you know, he faces an uphill battle to make this roster, especially if you're only going to keep five or six receivers, and one or two of those guys needs to play special teams. So he needs to flash, he needs to play well. Just a limited sample so far, but you're right. The buzz around him has been pretty crazy. Uh, I, at this point, I just would be pretty surprised if he's able to make the Chiefs 53. That would really have to show something. and have to knock somebody off the list, which might be a guy like Josh Gordon. So uh, that might be the guy he's competing directly against. Yep, absolutely. Okay, last question, uh, Jesse. Obviously, the Raiders made some noise uh, out here in Las Vegas, and um, I'm sure it caught the attention of Kansas City and, and, and the Chiefs themselves, uh, adding Devontae Adams, adding Chandler Jones to what the Raiders already have. Uh, or had, um, uh, what's the level of concern in Kansas City over what the Raiders have done here in Las Vegas? Well, yeah, it definitely draws attention for sure. Um, and I think it's just part of the AFC West, right? I mean, uh, I think Andy, one of the first questions he got asked, or yeah, might have been Andy or Brett Beach, maybe both of them, was when I was at one of those press conferences, was like, so what about the AFC West? You know, <laughs> grief. You know, look at all these teams really trying to beef up and do what they did. And it's fascinating with Adams, too, I, I think. Um, you know, the timeline that the Chiefs put on this, it sounded like they were kind of down the line a little bit negotiating with Tyreek Hill, but then that trade with Devontae Adams happened to the Raiders, and then they max paid him, basically. And then the Chiefs knew that Tyreek Hill was going to want that type of contract or a little bit more to stick with Kansas City, and that's when they figured, okay, they might be out on that. So sort of an interesting way, the Raiders probably were the first domino to fall to make it so that Tyreek Hill is no longer with the Chiefs. That's something we could probably talk about down the line as well. But uh, you're right. I mean, you know, the Raiders, along with uh, the Chargers, the Chargers, everybody's picking May to win the AFC West. But, again, uh, you can understand it this year because of what they have. And, and obviously, they've got the quarterback position uh, taken care of. And then Denver bringing in Russell Wilson. Um, this is going to be a fun league to watch. So very competitive game in and game out. I'm looking at some of the Vegas total lines, and most of those teams are off in that you know eight and a half to uh, ten and a half figure. So it should be a fun, uh, definitely a fun division to watch, and definitely the most fun division to watch in the NFL this upcoming season. Yeah, and to your point of the uh, the domino effect that the Devontae Adams trade and then the, the Raiders signing him to the contract he signed uh, had on the you know the, the division and Tyree Kill. When we asked Dave Ziegler, the general manager, and Josh McDaniels about that, and I think it was a collective. Oh, really? Huh? Huh. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, and we all know that a lot of these moves are made independent of things, but the fact that it, it strengthened the Raiders and probably um, there's no, I don't think there's any doubt whether they did it, you know, intentionally or not, definitely helped to weaken the, the Chiefs. Sometimes moves have that way of happening like that, and those are the good ones, but it certainly did. The timing of it was probably the worst possible timing for the Chiefs. So uh, interesting how that all worked out. And we'll see how it all plays out on the field. Jesse Newell, thank you so much for spending some time with us in the huddle. Truly appreciate it. Uh, Come by to the press box and say hi, or I'll come by and say hi to you in Kansas City uh, when uh, the Raiders and the Chiefs uh, knock heads. And that's uh, almost, it feels like, right around the corner. Thank you, man. Uh, Appreciate it. Thanks much.
You got it. That was Jesse Newell from the Kansas City Star. He covers uh, the Chiefs. And make no mistake, I mean, he just named all the wide receivers and the skill players that they have on the Chiefs. Don't forget, they also have a guy by the name of Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, Travis Kelsey. Uh, it'll be different, but, you know, that's a team. Don't sleep on the Chiefs. I don't think Raiders, the Raiders are without question or, or Raider Nation. But uh, I know that they lost Tyreek Hill, and I know that that's a loss that they're going to feel. But somehow, some way, they're going to figure out a different way to do it because that's what they do in Kansas City. And the, obviously, the Chiefs or the Raiders have to be aware of that. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, Finley Cadillac Performance Studio on a Tuesday, brought to you by Tequila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM.